0: This podcast is sponsored by Media First, who design and deliver bespoke media, message development, presentations and crisis communications training. Find out more by visiting mediafirst.co.uk. Hello and welcome to The Media Landscape. I'm Julia Bell and I'll be talking you through the last week's news and preparing you for what's ahead. Today, Prince Andrew and his two-year masterclass on terrible PR. Also, supermarket chain M&S and their decision to rename a classic confectionery that was causing offence. And a look into those two all-important little words... I'm sorry. When do they make a positive impact and when do they make matters worse? This week's journal on the go was broadcast journalist and media trainer Victoria Smith, who'd actually just gotten in from standing amongst the hubbub outside number 10 as yet another Downing Street party scandal rumbles on in the headlines. So, other than Downing Street Party Gate, which we will look into in detail shortly, the key stories that have dominated the headlines include Serbian tennis star Novak Djokovic having had his visa revoked again by Australian authorities, with the Australian Immigration Minister Alex Hawke calling him a quote-unquote talisman of anti-vaccination sentiment. In the last episode, of course, if you listen to that, you'll remember, I talked about how Djokovic had won the legal appeal to stay in the country with a COVID vaccine exemption. But as I'm recording this, He's lost this second appeal and he stated that he'll accept the ruling, he'll leave the country and of course he'll miss out on the Australian Open tournament. Another key story this week, which is as of Monday, the 15th of January, self-isolation for people with COVID is being cut down from seven days to five in England. So if you have negative lateral flow tests on day five and day six, you're good to go. The sensible presumption, of course, is that this is a way of reducing work absences, which In all honesty, they have been causing chaos, and I don't use that word lightly, uh, particularly in the likes of, you know, transport, trains, for example, were being cancelled because there just weren't enough staff to operate them, and of course in the likes of the NHS. But the big story this week was the revelation that Prince Andrew, aka the Duke of York, has had his military titles and royal patronages removed. Plus, he'll no longer be referred to as His Royal Highness, HRH. So why is this happening? Well, as we know, one of Jeffrey Epstein's victims, Virginia Dufresne, has claimed that Epstein trafficked her to have sexual relations with Prince Andrew when she was just 17. And she's taken this matter to court in New York. And the Prince's lawyers had insisted that she just didn't have a case. And they pointed specifically to this deal that she signed with Epstein back in 2009. But the New York judge dismissed the Prince's contentions, meaning that Ms. Dufresne can now move forward with the case. And that means that the Prince may end up in court. And then in terms of how Buckingham Palace have gone about this, well, I mean, it was with the most curt statement I've ever seen. Which plainly read, and it's literally two sentences With the Queen's approval and agreement, the Duke of York's military affiliations and royal patronages have been returned to the Queen. The Duke of York will continue not to undertake any public duties and is defending this case as a private citizen. That's it. That is the full statement. Uh, And plenty of people, both on social media and in the public eye, are claiming that this is just way too little, too late. Uh, Considering the fact that that infamous news night interview that Prince Andrew did was as far back as November 2019, where, for example, this happened. She described dancing
1: with you no. and you profusely sweating <laughs> and that she went on to have... There's a
2: slight problem with with, 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 with the sweating um, because uh, I, I have a peculiar medical condition, which is that I don't sweat, um, or I didn't sweat at the time, and that was... Oh, actually, yes... I didn't sweat at the time because I um, had suffered what I would describe as an overdose of adrenaline in the Falklands War when I was shot at. Uh, and I simply, it, it was, it was, it was almost impossible for me to, to to sweat.
0: I think that interview will likely be used forever as a textbook account of bad interview preparation and just bad PR in general uh, from Prince Andrew's apparent total lack of empathy for the victims, as well as you know at times his just bizarre use of language. Um, one thing that stuck out to me was him calling Epstein's behaviour quote unquote Unbecoming. Unbecoming. Um, But even over two years later, I don't think the prince has particularly learned his lesson and done his public image any favours. You know, his legal team have been unashamedly focused on finding loopholes to save him from the embarrassment of a court case rather than cooperating. And if anything, that, paired with this really curt, uh, if not non-existent messaging from the palace, it's just done nothing to assure us of his innocence. Something that caught our attention brand wise this week was a story about M&S changing the name of the classic confectionery midget gems to avoid causing offence to people with dwarfism. This is in large part down to academic and campaigner Dr Erin Pritchard who herself has a condition which stunts growth called achondroplasia and essentially Pritchard's point was that the word midget is a form of hate speech. Uh, She wrote in the Big Issue magazine that, quote, its origin automatically dehumanises people like me. It was a term popularised during the Victorian freak show, where many disabled people, including people with dwarfism, were oppressed and exploited. And look, I think this is the kind of story that if you just worked off the headline, you might think, oh, come on, you know, brands are taking this too far. When will the wokeness end? And don't get me wrong, I think there is quite a lot of tiptoeing around and, and sort of disingenuous stuff going on, but m s are bang on on this, I think, because clearly from pritchard's very personal account, you can't deny that the word is riddled with a kind of upsetting history. so what are m s calling the sweets now? I hear you ask the mini gem and you know, literally, would you even have noticed if I'd not talked to you about this today? I don't think so. So it really is a positive step for folks like Dr. Pritchard, who were directly affected by the name and a totally neutral, if not indifferent change for anyone else. Uh, a spokesperson for m and said, quote, we are a diverse and inclusive retailer. and We would not want any of our products to cause offence. We're grateful to Dr. Pritchard for bringing this to our attention. I like it. They're not asking for glory. They're not making a big deal out of it. They're just gently improving a important section of customer's experience. And I think other chains would be wise to follow suit. Let's talk about apologies. There have been a few, well, two key ones this week that have been on my radar. One that sat right with me, and another that really didn't. Um, Adam Fisher, who writes our Media First blog, wrote a brilliant piece this week about the energy company Ovo, who, in the wake of these soaring energy prices, gave customers really just weird advice to keep warm without whacking on the heating. And it included cuddling a pet, keeping the oven door open for a bit after cooking, and this one really hurt me, doing star jumps. Oh, so naturally, you know, the press and the public went to town, branding it insensitive, branding it, you know, uh, un- uninclusive. And I mean, even clown-like was one of the terms used. And do you know what happened? Ovo pretty much immediately owned it. Here's a bit of the statement. Quote, we understand how difficult the situation will be for many of our customers this year. And we recognise that our energy-saving tips were poorly judged and unhelpful. We are embarrassed and sincerely apologise. That is owning it. I read that and I thought, yes, you're not trying to get out of it. You're not trying to gaslight us, pun intended, into thinking that, you know, we're the ones that have somehow misunderstood your noble intentions. It's easy to move on from such clear and direct ownership. Compare that with the apology that Prime Minister Boris Johnson issued in the Commons also this week after yet more news broke of alleged Downing Street gatherings during lockdown This time it was a garden party to which 100 people were invited by email to make the most of the lovely weather. This was his apology.
2: Mr Speaker, I want to apologise. I know that millions of people across this country have made extraordinary sacrifices and I know the rage they feel with me and with the government I lead when they think that in Downing Street itself the rules are not being properly followed and when I went into that garden just after six on the 20th of May 2020 to thank groups of staff before going back into my office 25 minutes later to continue working I believed implicitly that this was a work event but Mr Speaker with hindsight I should have sent everyone back inside and I should have recognized that even if it could be said technically to fall within the guidance, there would be millions and millions of people who simply would not see it that way.
0: There we go, an apology... Very heavily seasoned with technicalities and excuses. But let's talk about this with our journal on the go. This week it's multimedia journalist and media trainer Victoria Smith. And I started by asking her why the government didn't just get ahead of all of these revelations and admit everything up front rather than waiting for more to leak and further decimate
1: the public's trust. Well, the benefit of hindsight is the most amazing thing isn't it um i mean he's still defending himself somewhat by saying uh, he thought this was a work function i mean i don't know how many work functions you go to where there are 33 people drinking and eating cheese which allegedly was what was happening But uh, he says he thought it was a work function. So now it's up to this big inquiry by this senior civil servant, Sue Gray, to decide whether it was a party or whether it was a work function and whether Boris Johnson is culpable. Uh, The the, the word on the street is that uh, he may well uh, get away with this in terms of being told that what he did was not breaking the law. You'll remember there were really strict COVID rules at the time and the police were getting involved with people who were... Uh, seeing friends in the park or getting too close to other people. But uh, when it comes to the Prime Minister and his parties, it could well be that we see that it's one rule for them and another rule for us.
0: But I I don't understand what his message is, because one minute he's apologising in the Commons and the next minute he's trying to find loopholes. So does he have something to be sorry for? Or is he in the clear? Which is it? Because surely it can't be both.
1: Well, it was interesting, wasn't it? Watching his performance in the Commons, we saw a really different, very media-trained Boris Johnson. He did that whole crisis management thing, didn't he? Of being, seeming very recalcitrant, very humble and apologetic. Even did lots of bridging, you know, when Keir Starmer was attacking him, saying, well, I understand why the honorable gentleman would ask that question. But, and his defence was, we will have to wait for the inquiry before we can comment further. So he's taken responsibility for the event. He said he wishes he'd brought his people back inside. He'll be wondering and he's going to be working on whether the public, how the public see it and more importantly to him, how the party faithful and the party unfaithful see it as well. And we know there are a trickle of, uh, of demands for him to resign from the, his own party and uh, whether that uh, escalates over the coming days and weeks. We have to wait and see.
0: Yeah. What do you think the Conservatives can do to move on from this? Is replacing the top dog the only option or do you think they can ride this out?
1: I think what they might do now is try and change the focus, hope that this furor dies down a bit. And then Boris is gonna to have to come up with something really special, uh, I think, on the cost of living because that's the next big crisis he's gonna to have to work on. So he needs to come up with a way of reassuring the public uh, that they're not gonna be broke uh, when the energy bills go up. You know, We're hearing scare stories that they could double. And that call to stand down, I think, is unlikely at the moment because only five MPs from his party are demanding it and it needs to be 54 MPs. So for now, I'd say he's safe. But of course, you know, a day is a long time in politics. Do
0: you think these apologies are doing enough for the public? What do you sense the public mood is? Because I'm feeling like people have had enough, but perhaps I'm in an echo chamber on social media.
1: Yeah, no, that's a really interesting point, because we don't really know what the public mood is in terms of the next election. So we've seen, you know, lots of outrage, lots of shouts and cries of hypocrisy. We, we've we heard from people who lost loved ones around the same time some of these parties were meant to be going on. You know, one woman told us, has told the media that uh, her father... Uh, the death certificate was being signed on the day that Boris Johnson was allegedly at this big party in uh, Downing Street garden. Uh, she then met Boris Johnson in the summer and he looked her in the eye, she says, and told her that he had done everything he could for people like her dad. So it doesn't look good uh, when people wow. like that are coming forward and, yeah. and relating their experiences. So, But we don't know how that will translate in terms if, if there was a snap election tomorrow, for example, we know that his Popularity ratings are at an all time low. We know that Labour is ahead in the polls, but we don't know whether this would be the thing that tips the public vote away from him or whether we're going to have to hang on for something else like the cost of living crisis like the economy
0: yeah and like you say boris johnson has discovered this kind of fail-safe formula which is when the public's pissed off with you show them a victory he is good like you say at bridging and saying you know i know that you're annoyed about this but we're getting the job done with this vaccine rollout or with you know a green agenda or whatever it is so i do think that that will be his favorite tactic moving forward Thank you to Victoria for that and thank you for listening. That's all from me for another week. Links to get in touch and links to the blog are discoverable in the episode description and make sure to subscribe before you leave. The Media Landscape is produced by 37, which is a journalist-led content creation agency. We help our clients tell their stories in a way that wins hearts and minds. You can find out more by visiting 37.agency. This podcast is sponsored by Media First who design and deliver bespoke media, message development, presentations and crisis communications training. Find out more by visiting mediafirst.co.uk. That's spelled out media f i r s t.co.uk.